listening to the Alberta Advantage on CJSW 90.9 FM on Treaty 7 territory in Calgary. My name is Kate Jacobson and I produce the Alberta Advantage, where we offer analysis on Albertan and Canadian history and politics from a perspective that doesn't always get a lot of airtime. Hello and welcome to the Alberta Advantage. I am your host, Kate Jacobson, and joining Team Advantage today, we have Joel. Hello, hello. Rory. Hi. And Sean. Greetings. So normally with this podcast, we do strive to provide commentary that is, you know, grounded in facts and in material evidence and the world around us. But we do have to admit that for today's episode and the foreseeable future, we have become Bigfoot family truthers, something that the shadowy elites in this province deride as conspiracy theory and have covered up. So Jason Kenney's secretive Canadian Energy Center, better known as The War Room, recently denounced the 2020 Netflix children's film Bigfoot Family for, and I quote, spreading misinformation about the oil and gas industry. This was accompanied by War Room puppet-in-chief Tom Olson complaining that the film, and I quote, even shows oil being extracted by blowing up a valley using glowing red bombs that look like something out of an action movie, end quote. And folks, this is really and truly how they try to fool us, because far from being the ridiculous plot of a kid's movie, industry and government in this province did, in fact, once conspired to nuke the oil sands for profit. And today, as part of our effort to wake up, I am not saying the word sheeple, we are going to be telling you about Project Cauldron, which was a scheme in the late 1950s and in the early 1960s in Alberta to use nuclear weapons to extract bitumen that was taken shockingly seriously, which means seriously at all. And we think that this kind of semi-forgotten history and its quite odd parallel to the plot of a children's film is sort of an illuminating and interesting anecdote about the constantly raging petroculture war that we all live inside here in Alberta. Maybe it's worth talking about the movie itself, uh, Bigfoot Family. Rory and I took the plunge on Netflix and watched it. I think personally, as someone who, you know, thinks it's important to look at how media gets made, uh, in, in addition to the content of said media, uh, is that this is not, despite what Jason Kenney claims, uh, a Hollywood film. Uh, Kenney claimed in a press conference that uh, this is a Hollywood production that depicts oil companies as wanting to murder children to oppose environmental progress. Uh, and while it does, in fact, depict oil companies trying to murder children to uh, hinder environmental progress... It is not a Hollywood film. It's uh, actually made by a Belgian production company called N-Wave, which uh, is owned by a combination of some ex-Studio Canal executives, that's a a French uh, production company, and a couple of different Belgian film funds and tax shelters and things like that. So it's basically just this joint uh, French-Belgian production company. So not exactly what you would call Hollywood. And we can maybe be generous to the war room and assume that by Hollywood, they meant Netflix, which distributed the film domestically. But Netflix certainly isn't what anyone would refer to as Hollywood either. Uh, So this is a bit of editorializing on the part of Jason Kenney in the war room. And it feels we can't say for sure that it is a lie, but it feels like an intentional lie. One of the things you get out of this, like yelling about Hollywood 
is these kind of like uncomfortable dog whistles that Alberta has a long history of, of which we'll get into a bit later when we talk more about Project Cauldron is these dog Wait, whistles. are you are you telling me that Hollywood is code for something else? <laughs> yeah. Um, Alberta has a long history of like blaming a particular group outside of the province uh, for all of these provinces woes. Damn, that's crazy. What group? Like, does anybody know? Is it the French Belgians? Because <laughs> you'd think they just say that, right? I mean, obviously what people mean when they say Hollywood is they mean Hollywood with the triple parentheses, right? Like they mean Jews. It's the same way people say like New York or... Uh, coastal elites or coastal elites or or North London elites. If you're in the UK, I mean, obviously is it out and out anti-Semitism? No, definitely not. Uh, is it kind of like latent cultural tropes that exist in conservatism? Yes, absolutely. Do they exist in contemporary conservatism? Because like conservatism intellectually has not only like a dalliance, but like a deep relationship with like anti-Semitism. Like, yes, absolutely. It's like structurally a part of the conservative worldview. And you see that we've talked about this before on the podcast, but you do see it a lot in the history of Alberta. Yeah. And it, that goes right back to the social credit government in the 1950s, which we're going to talk about in this episode and how they like in particular, like contextualize like their anti-communism. So the plot of Bigfoot family isn't really important. Bigfoot's a dad. Um, the, the point of the movie is to be nice to your Bigfoot dad. Um, but for Albertans and especially conservative Albertans, uh, this movie is a, a waking nightmare. Some examples include a scene where Bigfoot gets mad at a pushy Hollywood style agent who asks what could be more important than profit, which Bigfoot, you know, thinks like the environment and your loved ones. There's a, an oil company executive that lies about how environmentally friendly his company is in a cynical ploy to stay socially acceptable. Uh, the oil company hires a violent mercenary to infiltrate activist groups and spy on people. It's crazy. Of course, that's never happened in real life. Well, what's funny, though, is that this film is supposed to take place in Alaska. It takes place in a part of Alaska that also looks a lot like Alberta, but the part of the film that actually depicts when they drive from the continental U.S. to Alaska, they go through Canada, and Canada's depicted with these sort of like very like uh, friendly stereotypes of like Mounties and maple syrup and all that sort of thing. So it doesn't even really like portray Canada poorly. Uh, it's and, and the villain is a Texan oil executive. So it's actually the U.S. that gets portrayed kind of negatively because, yeah, there's a few other things like there's a, the shots of like oil fields that look, you know, awful with like cute little muskrats getting scared. And then <laughs> a message of if you are a, a celebrity, you should use your fame uh, to promote environmental causes, which, of course, would enrage any blue blooded Albertan conservative who hates any celebrity that tries to use her their fame to promote It's Leonardo DiCaprio baiting. It, yeah, it really is. Um, it, it's very much like, almost like a Greta Thunberg baiting at times. But what's crazy is that all of this stuff is completely inoffensive and would not raise any sort of political alarm bells anywhere but here. But here, it's almost like this movie is like completely designed to like upset some, you know, oil company parent uh, who is then going to call the war room and demand that they... Uh, start a culture war thing about this or how, however they said this whole thing started. It's a good reminder of how warped uh, Alberta's political culture is because um, this sort of like inoffensive children's movie that literally raised no controversy anywhere else where this was distributed and screened 
was like the site of this massive culture war only here in this one province in Canada. It's it's bizarre. The movie doesn't even like condemn drilling for oil in general. It's just that that it shouldn't be drilled in this like pristine, beautiful mountain park and it shouldn't be drilled using like bombs. Yes, but it's definitely not communist propaganda. The Dave's saved due to uh, essentially brave YouTube videos and uh, the police arriving to arrest the oil executive, which is pretty funny. But how is all of this related to uh, our topic today, Project Cauldron? Alberta wanted to use nuclear weapons to extract oil, just like Bigfoot family. That's why they're mad. (laughs) The bad guys in the movie are planning to use a giant bomb to fracture the oil shale in an Alaskan valley, which would cause the trapped oil to rush to the surface and destroy the local ecosystem. However, we I like cannot emphasize, this is really not far off from a real plan put forward by the Albertan government in the 1950s. Although, thankfully, it did not need Bigfoot to be stopped, which is fortunate because Bigfoot had not been invented yet. Do you think that like the, the writers or, or the producers of this knew about Project Cauldron because it's kind of an obscure topic? Or do you think that they just stumbled onto it trying to make up a cartoonish plot? I think they just came up with the most like fantastical cartoonish evil plot they could muster, which was like, why don't we blow up a forest? Um, And it just so happens that that was also a real plan that uh, (laughs) Alberta and nuclear scientists cooked up in the late 1950s. I love living in Alberta because of reasons <laughs> like that. It's like outlandish things people cook up where it's like, it would be so funny if we did this. If a mustache twirling villain did this and it's like, Damn, oh yeah, that yeah. would be crazy. It's like, they, oh, I actually lived there. They planned that 50 years yeah, ago. I yeah. There. <laughs> yeah, I live in there. I have to live here. So let's dig into the history here. What was Project Cauldron? We know it involved nukes. We know it involved oil. Uh, but let's get into it with a little more detail. Project Cauldron was the brainchild of an American geologist, named Manley L. Natland, who worked for the U.S. company Richfield Oil. And while working in Saudi Arabia in the 1950s, a spectacular desert sunset reminded him of a nuclear fireball, which gave him an idea about how to extract bitumen from the Alberta oil sands. Makes sense. Normal. It's always happening to me. (laughs) Uh, Finding a profitable way to separate the oil from these sands was a major impediment to exploiting the vast reserves in northern Alberta. And people already knew that the key involved, to some degree, heating up the oil sands to liquefy the bitumen enough to separate it. And that is still one of the key parts of the processes involved in bitumen production. Now, the issue was that heating it up was very energy intensive and could not be done in place. And so unlike conventional oil production, where you could just dig a well and drain a reservoir because it's liquid, um, you could just pump it out, the oil sands would have to be dug up and processed first. So Natlin's nuclear proposal would instead use the heat of the underground explosion to melt the bitumen, which would then be sucked up by conventional oil rigs on the surface. Uh, Richfield Oil approached the Alberta and Canadian governments about the plan in September of 1958, and there was enough government interest to proceed towards testing. And the U.S. government also agreed to supply a bomb that would be flown into Alberta and was designed to fit down a borehole. So this was actually the kind of surprising part of this for me was that, I mean, I'd heard of this before and sort of you find like references to it here and there. But I thought it was like sort of something, an idea that somebody came up with that when that was kind of absurd and maybe like the government like did a report on it to see if it was feasible and nothing really came of it. No, it actually got pretty far into the process of testing it. So a test site uh, was chosen at Pony Creek, which is about 100 kilometers south of Fort McMurray. 
and Richfield had drilled several test wells there to identify the extent of the oil sands formation in the area. The plan would be to detonate a 9 kiloton device just below the oil sands at a depth of 381 meters. This was anticipated to blast a 70 meter cavity, which would fill with melted oil. Uh, if this was successful, they would then scale up the project to a 100 kiloton bomb and detonate at least 100 of them across northern Alberta. Uh, oh no! To for comparison, the bomb used on Hiroshima was about 15 or 16 kilotons. Hmm. Normal. Normal. <laughs> oh, uh, what? Did they not know about radiation? Like. Uh, okay. They had a plan Honestly, for that. at this point, they. Mm. Oh, yes, they did know about it. They're <laughs> <laughs> radiating the city of Edmonton. Small <laughs> price to pay. Small price to pay. So, Richfield estimated that the test would cost $1.25 million, but if it worked, they'd earn $2.6 million in profit. The proposal was self evidently ludicrous, yet, an August 1959 Alberta government report recommended greenlighting the idea, which had been renamed to the more innocuous sounding Project Oil Sand. Yeah, Project Cauldron sounds like something a witch would do. It's very evil sounding. Uh, glad they changed the name. Oil sand, definitely no negative connotations there. Much more friendly. There's a very interesting historic context here that I think helps to explain why it was being taken so seriously at the time. And that context is that by this time, the Cold War between the Americans and the Soviets had been underway for you know over a decade at this point. During the Cold War, both sides are rapidly building giant stockpiles of nuclear weapons. And there's also big tech developments in things like, um, you know, the hydrogen bomb, the intercontinental ballistic missile. And these basically vastly increase both destructive potential of weapons and also the ease of delivery uh, to whatever target you might have. And because of all of this, the idea of mutually assured destruction and civilization ending war on the planet seemed very, very possible. It wasn't just a scary bedtime story. It was something people really thought might happen. However, like while all of this is going on, the atomic age, you know, it also kind of produced some very positive visions of harnessing nuclear energy for productive purposes, things like electricity generation. So there was the idea of what was called PNEs or peaceful nuclear explosions, which is the idea that you could use the explosive power of nuclear weapons for diverse applications, things like excavating harbors, canals, mining, natural gas extraction, etc. And in 1957, the United States government actually initiated a project called Project Plowshare to explore these possibilities, obviously a reference to the uh, part in the Tanakh about like turning swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks or whatever. And the idea is that nuclear weapons would be made available for qualifying civilian projects. And from 1961 onwards, they carried out 31 tests about using nuclear weapons in peaceful nuclear explosions. Almost all of them took place at the Nevada Nuclear Testing Range. A few other tests are done in the U.S. to test the feasibility of nuclear natural gas extraction. Most of these tests are carried out in the 1960s. The project ends in the late 70s, four years after the last test. And more ambitious plans to use PNEs for civilian projects elsewhere in the U.S. and the world never happen for hopefully obvious reasons. I think there was a pretty high profile test in Colorado for resource extraction that uh, did end up poisoning a bunch of water. Uh, who could have seen that coming? It is a very like atomic age type of thinking to say like, hmm, we have these nuclear weapons. Let's use it to do landscaping. 
or let's use it to get oil out of the ground or whatever. Let's use it to open cans. No, <laughs> Come on. Like, what else can we use it for? It's like, hmm, not sure we should be doing this. So in 1950s Alberta, the social credit government of Ernest Manning was deep into its uh, most anti-communist phase. Manning's weekly radio sermons were laced with apocalyptic conspiracy theories about the coming war of Armageddon, where the Antichrist would take over Russia and ally with Israel to destroy the West. Wow, I can't say that stuff on the radio anymore. Uh, on a more secular level, the Manning government warned of 500 to 600 communist spies in the province as a justification for draconian anti-worker labor legislation. On anti-communist grounds, Manning opposed state intervention into social welfare and public economic development of Alberta's natural resources, hoping to, you know, stick to his free market capitalist guns. Uh, all, all, all that being said, the economic benefits of developing the oil sands still greatly appealed to the Manning government, so long as, of course, no public money was on the table. Uh, the August 1959 report noted that all of the previous development attempts had failed, unfortunately, and that the government had no business telling companies what to spend money on, so long as the captains of industry properly calculated the nuclear blast radius. <laughs> the report largely accepted the assumptions Richfield Oil had made about the project, and offered no challenges to the plan. Yeah, so I went through the report, and wow, it, it's very classic like Alberta government. Whatever industry wants, they're clearly right. And the plan is just like so ludicrous, and the it just does not challenge any of the assumptions that Richfield Oil has made, which are like wildly optimistic about yeah. how possible this is what does it does it account for radiation at all like like what does the report say about so that? richfield oil argued that the way that they were going to detonate it underground would contain all of the fallout underground this is very questionable if that was possible but the government accepted that so in the context of the cold war developing the oil sands promised domestic energy security for a United States that was increasingly dependent on Middle Eastern oil a region that was threatened by Soviet influence so this Mix of nuclear weapons, anti-communism, and another potential oil boom all created the perfect political climate in Alberta for the government to sign off on the truly batched idea that was Project Cauldron, nuking the oil sands. Now, fortunately, Project Cauldron's plan to nuke the oil sands fizzled out before any serious testing really happened. And while using, once again, nuclear weapons to nuke the oil sands sounds like a terrible idea, that actually isn't what killed Project Cauldron. And it was mostly for like political reasons that it never got out of the preliminary planning phases. And these were the federal government was not super into nuclear testing on Canadian soil, perhaps because nuclear testing was not particularly popular probably because of the entirely reasonable fears of radioactive fallout and other potential consequences. Oh, shucks. Who, who could have seen that coming? Yeah, Project Plowshare in the United States, even though it went on for 20 years, the fact it never really got out very much testing outside of the nuclear testing range was because it was also dogged by like public opposition in the U.S. Canada was also, at the time, trying to develop an image of uh, being in favor of nuclear disarmament a project to detonate a nuclear bomb inside of uh, uh, a domestic oil field 
uh, wasn't really a uh, good, uh, uh, well, it wasn't really good for the image, uh, so to speak. In April 1962, in fact, the Diefenbaker government publicly announced that Canada is opposed to nuclear tests, period. Another classic example of federal overreach, meddling in Alberta's affairs, not letting them nuke their own oil sands. <laughs> the anti-oil Diefenbaker <laughs> government hates the Alberta advantage. They do. They hate the, the prosperity that the nuclear bomb would give to us. The Alberta uh, advantage, FYI, is when you nuke the oil sands. <laughs> yes. So from 1958, uh, the U.S. government was engaged in negotiating what would become the 1963 Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which outlawed atmospheric nuclear tests. Uh, most of the world's nations, including Canada, signed the treaty with the notable exceptions of the nuclear powers, France and China. So the treaty did not distinguish between military and civilian nuclear tests. Uh, so the scope of these peaceful nuclear explosions <laughs> was severely restricted and only underground tests were allowed. While Project Cauldron was technically underground, the Eisenhower administration decided that sending nuclear weapons to Canada would be interpreted as a provocation by the Soviets and could potentially scuttle the treaty negotiations. Yeah, I mean, that is a bad look. Just shopping around nuclear weapons. No, I swear, they're going to actually blow it up underground. They're blowing to, themselves up. Don't to, worry. To dig for oil. They're like, yeah, we're not stupid. Like, come on. These political considerations effectively ended Project Cauldron by about 1960. I couldn't find, like, really a lot of hard dates. It basically, it seems to have been entertained from late 1958 into, like, early 1960. But the fact the Americans were unwilling to give a bomb to Canada for this purpose, as well as the fact the Canadian federal government was, like, not particularly keen on detonating a bomb in the oil sands, like, sort of brought all of this to an end. Uh, Natland, however, did continue to advocate for it throughout the early to mid-1960s, uh, but at that point it was dead. It came up again in 1976, where uh, Phoenix Canada Oil uh, proposed a somewhat similar Project Athabasca, but that went absolutely nowhere. And one thing we haven't really gotten into yet, but is very important to inform you of, is that from a purely technical standpoint, like putting aside all of the ethical and political questions involved in nuking the oil sands, Project Cauldron is still a terrible idea. So there's this 1959 letter to the editor of the Edmonton Journal. It is from early oil sands extraction pioneer Robert Fitzsimmons, who is criticizing the plan as unrealistic. And in the letter, he actually speculates that the heat of a nuclear explosion would not liquefy the bitumen, but potentially ignite the whole deposit into a, and I quote, burning inferno, or again, a quote, fuse it into a solid mass of semi-glass or coke. So at the very least, each like nuclear detonation that is done would vaporize more bitumen than it would make bitumen available for extraction. So it is an extremely wasteful method of recovery for a non-renewable resource. It is also unclear the impacts that such explosions of nuclear weapons would have on neighboring oil reservoirs or how cratering would impact the landscape of northern Alberta. And of course, I'm sure I don't have to remind people that absolutely no thought was given to indigenous people living in the area who were like 
title holders for the land and the potential impacts on their health and their communities, much like the actual way the oil sands were developed. And something that I was really curious about was how they they address fallout. The answer here seems to be that they um, just did not address that problem whatsoever. It's, it's also like, OK, even if their dreams come true and somehow a nuclear explosion does not combust all of the bitumen, but just like gently melts it all, okay, assuming that. It's a wasteland um, now. It's going to be radioactive. Like, yeah. Like everything radioactive is poisonous. Oils. Uh, yeah. Not sure how that's supposed to work. Yeah. Well, I don't think they were quite sure about that either. But, you know, the only way to learn is to try. I would simply detonate nuclear weapons in a way that didn't make the oil radioactive. <laughs> that's what it said in the report. And uh, the government's like, yeah, that, that sounds Checks pretty good. Out. Yeah. Another fun fact to this whole situation is that the oil sands in Alberta are located by the Athabasca River. The Athabasca River is part of the Mackenzie River watershed. The Mackenzie River watershed covers 20% of Canada's landmass. Non-nuclear oil sands extraction already has significant environmental impacts on this river system, all of them extremely detrimental. Project Cauldron, which is to say nuking the oil sands, would have certainly made the environmental impacts on this watershed significantly worse. This is 20% of Canada's landmass. Can you imagine that? Just like instantly a fifth of Canada is poisoned (laughs) for like years. So in one sense, you can view Project Cauldron as a relic of a past atomic futurism that put almost fantastical faith in harnessing the power of the atom to take us to this world of tomorrow. But the fact that nuclear-powered oil sands extraction is something the Kenny government is currently investing in, uh, and that this Bigfoot family movie allowed the war room to drum up some media coverage, suggests that there still is something to consider about the issue. At the very least, it shows what culture war stuff the Kenny government will indulge in to distract from its deadly mishandling of the pandemic, its public service cuts, its corporate tax giveaways, and its economic disaster for Alberta workers. On behalf of everyone here at the Alberta Advantage, we hope you have enjoyed this episode about literally nuking the oil sands. Take care and stay safe out there. Bye. like what you heard, you can hear a longer version of this episode and many more on albertaadvantagepod.com. So long, Calgary. Calgary.